We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed, Blender HD, if you want to follow me there on Twitter. And it's Monday, and you know what we do on Mondays. It's Mondays with McCool. James McCool, dirt underscore DFS, the co-author of The Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports with me. 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you could pick up at theoryofdfs.com. Uh, I see people in the chat. We're just, we're just doing basically mailbag today. So we'll talk about whatever. I know we got a seven-game slate later today, but we don't get starting lineups. We don't even got all the pitchers. So who the hell knows? So post it in the YouTube chat. I see you guys in there. Give me the thumbs up. Thummy thumbs. Thummy thumbs in your way in the door. Uh, subscribe if you're if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. Uh, I, people are congratulating me. The Daniel Hutchins for the, the congratulated me for the, the MMA win. I want I want to talk a little bit about that. Obviously, not not the gloat, but the show the show that it's, it's MMA is not that difficult really uh, in in the grand scheme of things. Uh, if, if you're aiming for first, you'll lose a lot, but in the process, you'll be fine. So, so James, uh, how, how are you doing? It's August. Just do it. It's uh, it is August. Um, I'm okay, man. Like I am trying to prepare for NFL. Like we talked about last week. I mean, I'm just like fully into how can I get everything ready for NFL season to start. Um, I did buy a WordPress site, so I now have a uh, 
a back end for my WordPress site, which I'm hoping to transfer everything over to. And uh, okay, you didn't have to buy that. That's it's free. Well, no, I mean for like all the like e-commerce and everything like that. Okay, and, okay, like, okay. Yeah. So because I want merch, because I in my heart, most people don't know this, but I really, really want to have a clothing company, like really bad. A clothing uh, company? Yeah, I really, really want to have a clothing company, and like I understand because I'm look. All right. So before I started like with all my sports stuff, right? Like I was a creative. I wasn't actually like a jock. I've never actually been a jock. I like sports. I'm good at sports because I'm large, but like outside of that, I'm a really creative person. I like to draw. I like to play music. I like to, you know, I like to look at different kinds of things creatively. And um, that's one of the reasons actually why I like modeling so much over the actual like concept of gambling now i love gambling because i'm a degenerate but what comes first is the modeling part of it so i'm actually a creative person and what i like to do what margaret and i do sometimes is uh i will draw something and then she will stitch it and she will like create a custom piece of clothing and i think that stuff is really really cool so most people don't know that about me that i really would like to be like a designer and like have a clothing company because i think that stuff is cool um so I want to have merch for Paydirt, but I haven't gotten around to it because I'm busy. So hopefully now that I'm starting to hand some things off and like trying to delegate a little bit of my backend work to people, I'll have a little bit more time to focus on that stuff. So yeah, my background is actually as creative, not even really as like a sports person. I'm just, I've always been super big and like large and athletic. So I, I played sports, but before that I was a super creative person. Well, that's the same, very similar to me. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm at, at, at natural of being a create. I, I like to create. I like to entertain. I'm a, more of an entertainer. I'm not you a are, right because you were in bands, right? Like you were. Right. A, I was were, I, yeah. I was a singer of a band, a stand up comic. You know, like I I, I like being the, the front man up. You know, talking and whatever. I just also happen to be a nerd, also. So like, right. So yeah. So like the web development stuff that I did was just like. I didn't like it, but it's like, okay, it's something good and people that people pay me for. Right. right? And then, and then I, I, I'm on in my quest to never have a real job. Like I was always entrepreneurial. So like the marketing side of things is like, we're just right up my alley. And to me, that's creative also right. creative ways to get people to part ways with their money. Right. That's, that's how I view it. How can I solve that puzzle? Uh, without, without being, without being a scumbag. Right. Sure. I mean, I'm an ethical capitalist, I guess. So, sure. so yeah, so we're both, so, but just that, the, the, the clothing business is just low margin, just like high, like it, it's, it works at scale, but doesn't work in the, in the, just from a business perspective. Sure. I, I get it. I, you may enjoy doing that. I just don't think it's necessarily the greatest of business. And that's the thing. Like, I don't ever plan on getting out of this space as long as, as I am allowed to model for sports and as loud, as long as I can like continue to make a living doing this, I want to do that. But there's a lot of things I want to do on the side. Like there are things that I want to do in terms of like creative capacity. Like I want to have a clothing company and I want to like design some decals. I want to like maybe make some coffee mugs or something like that. I think that stuff is cool. Um, and the, you know, there's another part of it that Margaret, my fiance is really, really big on that. Not everything has to be monetized. Not everything has to be something that you make a living from. You got to get a new, you got to get a new significant other. Then. <laughs> so right. <laughs> like there, there, there are outlets that I, I like to focus on. And, um, you know, I, 
DFS is lucrative and I love what I do and I won't stop doing it, but I do want to have those kind of things on the side. And of course, having a, a business like I do gives me an opportunity to also have merch and design it the way that I want and make it cool and make it the way that I want. So that is a slight background on why I got the e-commerce version of WordPress, because I do plan on having merch and creating things and, um, and doing that kind of stuff on top of all the modeling, but it's all about time, right? Like time management is the biggest thing, especially in this industry. And especially as a content creator, um, time is, is by far the most valuable resource. Um, and not even in DFS, like you and I have talked at length about how building a lineup, building your portfolio of lineups, that shouldn't take nine hours. Like that's not where your time should be going. Uh, your time should be going towards like researching where you're going to find your edge and putting together. If, if you are building your models, then you build your models. If you are putting together uh, your ownership algorithms or stuff like that, like if you have backend stuff to do, that's going to take time. It, it takes me like maybe three hours a day or something like that uh, to actually run the models. But in terms of building my lineups, half an hour, maybe something like that. So building lineups is not the part that takes time. Uh, finding out where you are going to get your edge on a slate and what your strategy is and how you want to build out your portfolio or your single lineup or your five lineups or whatever, that's where most of your time is going to be taken. And, and people like Jordan who outsource a lot of the backend stuff, right? Like you do not care about building models. You do not care about building an optimizer. You do not care about any of those things you care significantly more about handing that off to somebody else who you think does it really, really well and using the stuff that they have so that you can spend less time on doing that kind of stuff and more time maximizing the, uh, the fruits of your labor in your portfolio. Right. I mean, that the, 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 the highlight my, my MMA score this past uh, weekend, I, I started playing MMA when COVID hit, right? Cause Dana White, Fight Island, you know, they, they came back. They had the soccer. I already knew the soccer stuff. So whatever. I'm spending more, I spend more of my time on studying and back, like back testing strategies, like looking and seeing what works and what doesn't work, what's correlated, what's not correlated. So anal, analyzing data, like I, the, for the, the things that, that, matter the most to me from a game theory perspective. So for instance, in the M, like I've shown, I've made, I didn't do this last year. Like this MMA spreadsheet that I have, like I only made like about three months ago. And those three months have been my most successful in MMA, <laughs> right? I, I was always still using these types of concepts, but didn't turn them, basically didn't turn them into numbers. Then so developing this spreadsheet, it's not this is not a hard spreadsheet. In fact, it doesn't even pull in. I have to manually update this. So there's no it doesn't there's no scraping and then right, you could probably do that. Me, I don't I don't I could do it in Perl. I could do regular expressions in Perl. I don't know if that's gonna help in Excel, but whatever. Uh so I just I just do it manually. I just update it, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, flight, like a couple of times a week. So I what I did for MMA is I went back. And I pulled all the scores from the past like three years worth of MMA contests. So I just, all I did was pull the, pull the fighters and their scores and uh, compared them. I also got the closing lines for their win, their inside the dis, their money line, the inside the distance and their round one. 
So I was able to get that data, okay? Uh, and then all I did was just compare the two. Just run a simple, what's, what's what plotted the correlation? Just a, just a simple, simple R squared of score versus odds. And the, obviously the higher odds, the, you know, what, and I'm looking for 100 plus point scores because in MMA, you pretty much going to need an average of about 100 plus per fighter slot in order to win a large field GPP. Uh, I mean, sometimes, yeah, obviously, depending on the price, sometimes an 880 at lower scale. But all I, all I care about is what correlates most to a 100 point score. Now, obviously, in an MMA, it's, it's easy to figure. I mean, this is common sense. If you get a if you get a, a a stoppage a finish in the first round, that's the most correlative to a hundred plus point score because obviously you get ninety points for winning in the first round, so it's 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 quite hard not to get a hundred points. Now there are times where ninety three, sure, yeah, I mean like right in the beginning, uh, and this is you know including the win the win bonus for the first you know minute, so obviously round one odds to a hundred point score is like a, like a 0.93 R, which is James, you know, that's like, yeah, that's it's basically high. like on it. Right. That's insanely high inside the distance, which is just any finish is like 0.73. Okay. Now, obviously there are some times where, you know, you get a third round finish and it doesn't get there, but hundred point scores are most correlative it's very hard for a fighter to ha- get a hundred plus point score without a finish, right? So, which makes it, you know, 0.73. This make all makes sense. Like it just common sense. You could think, obviously you get more points for a finish than you are for a decision. And a decision probability uh, R was around uh, 0.6 or something. Because it's almost impossible to get a hundred point score in a loss. Right. So like it's it's going to be correlative, obviously, but it's not necessarily going to be 100 point scores all the time because you're only getting 30 points for the decision. And then what I also did is compared the the pricing on the fighters versus the 100 points like because you need more points, like 90 points may not cut it for a 9K fighter. So that leans it more towards the round one. Right. So the, the lower price fighters like. I took a look at the optimal lineups of all those contests for the past three years. And once you get underneath 9,000, once you get above 9,000, you almost need a hundred points, which means you most likely need a first round finish. That's the most correlative. Obviously this disregard like what type of scoring they have, like wrestling versus, you know, you have to take all that five rounds. You have to take all of that out. Then once you get underneath, once you get in the eight thousand range, optimal lineups are more correlated to the ins- to the to more inside the distance. And then once you get to the lower uh, part of the spectrum, they're more correlative to the winning, because sometimes we have optimal lineups that have a seventy eight hundred dollar, you know, a seventy eight point seven thousand dollar fighter winning, and all the other favorites winning. So like that would be optimal. So and just now, this all is common sense. If you played MMA DFS, this doesn't this doesn't blow your mind. This all makes common sense. But what people don't do is because people look into the fights and go, "Who do I think is going to win this specific fight?" And they go, "Well, this guy's going to box, and this guy's going to like." I don't even I don't I don't concern myself with that. 
All I concern myself is that if it's a main event fight, which means it's five rounds, which means I need to understand that a decision, you're going to get more points because you have two more rounds of scoring. So that's not going to be accounted for on the spreadsheet. And then I need to, I need to put down heavyweight fights because heavyweight fights have much more variance. Typically heavyweight fights at decision never, almost never score a hundred points. The correlation is like nothing. It's like, it's horrible, but they're the most likely to get first round victories, which means it's kind of like either one of these guys puts up a lot of points or another, or the fight goes the distance and they both bust. And then the women's fights I put down because they tend more to go to decision. And, but the scoring now on DraftKings, the new scoring system, they get credited with way more strikes than, than the men do. So you have to you have to put that in the back of your head because it's not going to be reflected. That's why I put it, put this in the notes section, just so I know that you know I need to I need to these numbers may not mean exactly what they mean. So all I do, since those are the most correlative things, you could now if you don't play MMA, you may look at this and go, well, what does it have to do with me? It's like no, this is my philosophy for playing every sport. What are the factors that are the most correlative? to the scores that I need, the lineups that I need to build. And I focus on them first. Now, if I need a 50-50, then you could go down. But when people are asking about, you know, if, uh, you know, this guy does well on Tuesdays versus a lefty versus like, like that's like the, the 700th thing on your, on your mind. What's the most correlate? What, what, what are the factors that matter the most? Let me make the decisions based on that. So in MMA, all I do is I go to the, uh, projected ownership, which we have on Roto-Grinders. Uh, sometimes I adjust that because I do look around the industry and maybe make a little bit of an average. Uh, and then all I do is compare the ownership with all three of those of the, of the money line win probability, the inside the distance probability, and the round one probability. And then I also have a combined leverage, which I weight them differently depending on the slate, okay? Because smaller slates, wins are more important there's less fighters bigger slates you need you need i mean a decision you, you almost need six finishes pretty much nuts, right yeah. right you need you i mean you're not going to get by with a 70.8k win probably in your lineup to win a large field so that's all i do so if you look in this past slate this is the projected ownership obviously it didn't come in exactly this way but it shows exactly why like all, i had i had a ton of wit Groots, I these three, the lowest price underdogs, I had like most of. And these all three guys won. Uh, I had a lot of Adeshev, the Adeshev Benoit fight, who they, they didn't score well, but Adeshev was way under owned and he won. Frey won. I mean, if you take a look, just look at this spreadsheet. Everything that in green happened. Buys. Like people like Cheyenne Buys was the lowest owned out of like the top end type of fighters. But she had the highest disparity between her winning chances and, and the ownership. Now, she didn't have the great inside the distance because she wasn't expected to finish that fight. Well, it turns out that she did in the first round in the first minute. She was the highest scorer on the slate. But I wasn't playing her for that. I was just playing her because like these, the guys above him, above her, because of the cancellations, it was eighty nine hundred, then a main event ninety three hundred dollar fighter, and then two ninety five and ninety six hundred. So it's like if you fade the t- most of my strategy, especially on a ten fight slate, is to leave a lot of money on the table because you know it's 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 hard to make non duplicated lineups that use all the salary or even use even use 
leave 500 on the table. So in a lot of these lineups, I'm fading both of these two fighters up here, or at least two out of these three 9K fighters. So if I need to prioritize winning equity, why well, should be playing a ton of Cheyenne buys at 8,900, right? I don't care that she, I don't care if you get to finish. It's quite possible a 70 point decision may still be fine on this slate, even for an $8,900 fighter. If the, uh, if, especially if the two favorites lose and I have the two underdogs, right? And I'm leaving 2,500 on the table. So just looking at this spreadsheet, I mean, this is how I built my life. I mean, like it's literally like Stolze, who is like the, the, way over-owned 7K favorite that was mispriced was way over-owned based on, based on his odds. He ended up coming in in 38% owned, but even if at 38%, it would show that he's, he's at, at least he's a little bit more efficiently owned, but still over-owned, right? And Gooden ended up coming in in 20 in that fight, and that moves some stuff, but still it makes still makes Gooden one of the best plays on the slate in comparison to his betting, betting odds. So like, James, when, when you when you say like what you spend your time on, like from a model perspective, I know this is this is the, the most rudimentary kind of version of what a model is. Like to me, I consider like spending the time and this, this this between getting the data, looking at the data, and then developing just some type of little cheat sheet spreadsheet type of thing like this with the calculator, because it automatically converts the the odds to the probability. Like, like I put the little formulas in there. So it does that. Uh, like this is, this is what took like 20 hours. Yeah. Like in total to like, when people are like, Oh, do you research? Like people spend time. Oh, you, you have all the time in the world to research slates. It's like, I'm not researching anything. I'm building tools like this. So like it does the work for me right. so that on every MMA slate, all I have to do is just put in the information so yes, I'm doing it manually. I you could probably make this so it pulls in all the data from from like best fight odds or something like that, and have it all. Do, and then you could just open it and it's all there. And then also scrapes the ownership from lineup HQ, right? And, and and does that right. That that'll make it even quicker. Me, I end up spending about a grand total of twenty minutes, right, to update it like th- like three or four times. Yeah. So like my next step would to me to turn the twenty minutes worth of work into like thirty seconds worth of work. Or Just like almost button, no, like literally button. one second work because you wouldn't have to do any work anymore. Yeah. Uh, but I'm I just wanted to take the three hours worth of work in MMA to look at the odds and go, well, what's the difference between the two? It's like no, let me put it into a spreadsheet and now turn my three hours worth of work into twenty minutes worth of work. And now this being that MMA works the same way every week, like this is to me this like when when we say what what it what do professional DFS players work on? It's more of this type of stuff than opening up the slate at uh, 11.23 in the morning and go, oh, Andrew Heaney's going to be chalk today. What do we do? You know, and and start looking at fan graphs or whatever and just like diving. It's like, no, it's like that. I outsource that to the back. Like that's that's already being done for me. So what can I do during the day that could make myself more efficient Right. Maybe I'm playing on two sites. Maybe I'm playing on three sites. Maybe I'm playing this over there and that over there. Maybe sometimes in the afternoon, I just want to take a nap and that's fine. Right. So, so when we talk, when we talk about like, uh, like your process, once you have like a successful process, if you're a profitable DFS player and, and you've been doing stuff like the manually, mm-hmm. 
like comparing, going into the projections, going, reading articles and going, okay, now I, I'm getting a sense of this guy's going to be higher owned and this guy's going to be low owned. It's worth playing this. You know, this is contrarian, this versus in this contest. Once you get all that down, your next goal is to now make it much more time efficient so that you can now reap the rewards on your process more so by playing more sites, by playing more sports, by playing, by going, okay, I conquered this. Now, how do I make this three hours into 20 minutes? And now I have an extra two hours and 40 minutes now on my plate to do preseason NFL or esports or tennis or, or whatever it could be, soccer, whatever. And then you try to conquer that. And then that you may be doing that for three hours. And then you try to condense that three hours into 20 minutes there. And then you go, okay, what else now? What can I move over? And a lot of the, a lot of the top players, they condense the 20 minutes down into five minutes and even more so that, you know, they're showing up for a slate 10 minutes before lock and making 300 lineups. Yep. Two one fifties on two different sites. So you would, you would, I mean, you would, I mean, based on, I mean, this is what you do. I mean, you make models, you, I mean, that, that's the whole point in, you know, I'm, I'm outsourcing to someone like you to make the models, but still the process. You, I mean, there's, there's a difference between projections and predictions. You still need right. to have a process. So, so a lot of people look at a projection set and go, okay, but now what do I do? Like, well, that process may take you three hours to strategize and what types of lineups work and what are their ownership sums or products and whatever. But once you get good at that, you start condensing that down even more and even more, even more. I mean, I'm assuming, especially like something like uh, like LOL, like you must be able to put together like like 100 lineups in two minutes. I mean, like like how, yeah, how much of a process, like to me, LOL is the most like correlative DFS ever is just like, I'm going to make a hundred lineups and stack four, four or whatever the hell it is, or, you know, that type of thing. And just like, just run it and enter. Right. For the most part. I mean, yeah, it's uh, so like regarding your, your little MMA spreadsheet that that's, are you proud of me a little, it's, it's, a, it's I a, am, I have something I could do so much. I could do so much better. It just, but it works. It doesn't matter. It, works. it doesn't matter. Like I have something very, very similar for PGA. And uh, what you're doing is you're saying with, with your model, you're very reliant on Vegas odds. You're ultra right. reliant on Vegas odds. Only, because- only because based on the data, like if I, if, I, if I were to pull and I didn't, like all the fight metrics, such as like significant strikes, thrones, fights, like all, all of that type of stuff, it's, it, it's nowhere near as correlative as these, these the, the, the sports book odds. Right, right. So, like, I so, shouldn't even care. Like, other than the fact that I need to t- pay attention to, like, it's a five-round fight, not a three-round fight. You know, it's a women's fight. It's a heavyweight fight. Like, people looked at me like the Benoit Adeshev fight. Like, from a descriptive perspective, was going to be a boring fight. Was going to be most likely this ends in a decision, and neither fighter get there. Sure. But that's the reason why it's low owned. I mean, like, that's the reason why it's low owned. So all I need to do is look and go, well, compared to their ownership, Benoit has a higher chance of getting a finish and Adeshev have a higher chance of getting a finish. It's not the highest on the slate at, at all, but it happens enough times that it's profitable to play them in lineups. What do, what do I care about what the style of the fight is? What do I care about all these other metrics when I know that these three things are by far the most correlative to 100-point scores? Right. 
And what you're doing when you're trusting Vegas is you're basically saying, Vegas is pretty good at giving me the info that I need for these conferences. Right. So the crowd is good. Typically, crowd, to, uh, James, just, just, just to put things into perspective, I don't use Vegas odds. I use, I use offshore odds. Sure. Yeah. And so do I. Right. So, 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 so like a lot of people look at, some people have looked at the spreadsheet and go, I, I saw so-and-so, you know, they look at, oh, DraftKings Sportsbook has this at, at minus 170. And I go, I'm not, I, I said, I don't look at retail books. No, 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 no. I take off Bovada. I take off Odds Portal. I take off of like. Well, Bovada, no, I don't even take it. No, I, I, Pinnacle, five dimes. I use Pinnacle as well. I use right. like, I use a whole bunch of different offshores so that I can right. compare because I want to be able to find the most efficient things. Um, right. uh, and for people that are wondering why to take offshore, certain offshore books versus uh, retail, especially United States books, is uh, I want I want books that, that are more likely to take more sharp action. Right. Which means yeah. the lines tend to be more efficient. Right. So I use I use a whole bunch of different offshore as well. And what I do with PGA, I I don't think that I'm great at guessing what golfer is going to do. I I have built models in the past. My golf models have been effective, but I don't think that they have been as good as what Vegas can do. So I say to myself, all right, I'm just gonna trust Vegas. How can I utilize Vegas odds the best in PGA to put myself in a position to build good PGA lineups? Uh, the main thing that you need in PGA is top five. Like that, that's what you need. You, you need the winner. You need somebody in second. You probably need somebody in third. And then after that, you probably need two other top 10 guys. But like, if you don't have the winner, first off, uh, and like two other guys that are top five, you don't stand a chance in GPPs. So I put together a model on PGA that pulls in the Vegas odds uh, for the outright winner, top five, top 10, top 20. Um, and then I bring in ownership from a whole bunch of different sources. I have an ownership um, conglomerate that I put together. So, and then I weight things against Vegas odds. Uh, and then I bring in all the sheets and I bring in all the CSVs from DraftKings, FanDuel, and Yahoo. And what I do is I compare the price of the player against their odds to finish top five or their odds to finish top 10, or if you're in cash games, their odds to finish top 20. Um, and then I just find inefficiency and that that's it. Like after that, I put in some ownership and I use my ownership conglomerate and I find where leverage sits. So like if there, there's usually like three or four players that are high priced somewhere in the, you know, 10 K plus, and almost always one of those guys is going to be significantly higher than the other ones. And like, there's leverage in that. There, there's a lot of leverage in that. Maybe Rory McIlroy is going to be the highest owned golfer on any given slate, but he doesn't even have the best odds to finish top five. People are like, oh, well, he does well on Bermuda greens and there's a lot of par 40s on this and there's no trees and he doesn't like trees or whatever. And so he ends up being higher owned and he's like plus 400 to be top five and Jordan Spieth is plus 250 to be top five. And he's only half as owned as Rory McIlroy. That's the kind of stuff where you can find those inefficiencies based on ownership. You can find the inefficiencies based on price. And if you just trust Vegas, you can put those two things in and you can build PGA lineups that are good for GPPs without doing any of that extra research. It, it takes me 20 minutes. Like you said, 20 minutes to build your MMA sheet. It takes me 20 minutes to update that PGA sheet. And like already 
you know where the pricing inefficiencies are on DraftKings, FanDuel, and Yahoo, and you already know where the leverage is sitting because we have all of the ownership that we need here. And all PGA is, is getting the top five or top 10 guys at lower ownership than the rest of the field. And there you go. So PGA, I have a similar way that you look at it with MMA, where you're just looking at it and saying, okay, which price, which fighters are underpriced based on their Vegas odds or based on the crowd. Right, but I'm not even thinking about price. I'm just thinking about, own- to me, it's just ownership because MMA is so binary. Like the price doesn't even matter. Right, but you have it as one of your inputs. You no, have the, the, salary. Sal- the salary is only here for show. The salary has nothing to do with any of these numbers. Okay, sure. So all, then- all, I, all I know is that the lower the price, like you have, I'm still employing the game, like the game theory element of this in building a lineup is not in here. This is just, to, that's why I call it more of a cheat sheet than a model. I know that on a smaller slate, this is a 10 fight card that getting unique is going to be much harder, which means I'm going to have to leave money on the table in order to get unique. So that means I'm going to have to not play guys that are up here and I'm going to have to play multiple underdogs. Mm -hmm. I'm also, I also need to prioritize win equity more than inside the distance because getting six winners in your lineup is going to be more important on a 10 fight card than on a, 15 fight card, like six winner lineups. I mean, you'll cash with them, but you, you're you not guaranteed to win with a six winner lineup because you need the six highest finish, finishing right. winners when there are 15 fights on the slate. Yep. So I take that. So I need to still look at the game theory of what types of lineups am I putting together, but I use this as more of a cheat sheet on not, see people look at, may look at this and go, this is how I decide who I think is going to win the fight. I This has nothing to do with predicting. All, all it is is showing Cheyenne buys is 59% chance to win based on the based on the betting line. And she's 23% owned, which means she's 2.57 times more likely to win than her own. I mean, that's all it is. It all is a division, Right. So I take a look at something like if you took a look at Gooden, right? It was 20% owned. It's like his inside the distance is he's a 21, according to the Vegas line, 21% chance. He's plus 385 to win inside the distance, but he's 20% owned, right? He's 13% chance to win in the first round at 20%. Like you, like obviously first round, it's, it's much harder, but you take a look at, that's why the green, I look at the greens and go that green means they're they're under owned for that thing, for the win for the inside the distance for the round one and if they're under if they're red that means they're over owned doesn't mean you can't play liners with them but i mean if you take a look at my exposures in the in the 150 max on mma the the, the you know who i had the least of yoder take a look at where the red is yoder depaula who was the that was the same exact fight Right, that, that I mean, that was right. No, DePaula, no, DePaula bought the but right because I had a ton of buys, so I didn't have DePaula. But like, if you take just take a look at it, you could see who I had the least of. I had way more Strickland than Hall, I had way more of these underdog. I mean, just because the probability this is what expected value is, right? We talk about this in chapter four of Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's the to me, it's the most important chapter. Is it chapter four? Did I get that right? Yeah, it's chapter four. Uh, it's the most important concept to get is expected value. To me, this is all this is all this sheet shows. 
is the expected value of individual fighters versus their ownership. Yeah. Doesn't mean that, oh, I can't play, I can't play uh, Hall in a lineup. No, of course you can't. Just you should probably play any any lineup that includes a fighter that has a bunch of red in it. You should play with more of the green fighters, right? The more of the oh, under-owned fighters. Leave money up. on the table, right? That type of thing. All that does is show you that. How to build plus EV lineups using the ownership. Obviously, you need to have more accurate ownership, right? If you're off, Garcia ended up actually being 53% owned. So he turned into like, I had like, I more Garcia, because I still had to play guys at the top. I had more Garcia than Barbarina. Yet, if I knew that the, that Garcia would be 53 and Barbarina be 51, you could take a look just at the, at the numbers here that I probably should have had a little bit. I should actually have had less Garcia and a little bit more Barbarina in my lineups. But I was having less of both of them, so it didn't matter, right? You take a look. Kosuke, Kose ended up being like 43% owned. So he became less. I should have played more Melsic Bagdasarian, who ended up coming at 38% owned. Right, based on this, than the other guy. I mean, they're not that much different, but it stands out like a store thumb. Cheyenne buys right here. Right, comparison. Yes, she is the least likely to win inside the distance, but she has the most amount of leverage if you're prioritizing winning, the winning the fight compared to these other fighters. So that all, all that's all this is. But you could do this in any sport. Yeah, I have that built into my MLB models. Like right. on the site, I have it built for. Uh, for stacks, because for me, most of what I want to focus on, I have uh, a couple different metrics in the MLB scoring percentages because I measure based on simulations how many times a team scores eight or more runs, and also now how often a team is the top scoring team overall and runs scored on the slate. And like those two things against ownership, that mostly tells you what you need to know about where you want to stack. Like if a team is is going to have a a thirteen percent chance at being a top overall scoring team and a 25% chance at be at scoring eight or more runs. Uh, and they're only projected for a f- like 40% aggregate ownership or something like that on a 10 game slate. You'll love that, right? Like that's, that's great. You want to focus on that a lot. Same thing with pitchers. I mean, if a pitcher isn't going to be, if pitcher is going to be 50% owned, but they only have like a 30% chance of being the top overall scoring pitcher, that's pretty negative leverage. So you're going to need to surround that with positive leverage based on the stacks that you're taking or the hitters that you're taking or whatever. It, it's all about just like balancing out that EV. You just got to make sure that you, you can still play things that are, that are uh, over-owned. You can still play the 60% owned DeGrom, the 70% owned DeGrom. Uh, you just got to make sure that you're not also playing it with the 140% aggregate ownership core stack or, or Oriole stack or whatever. Like that's, you just have to make sure that you are looking at things and, and associating them together not thinking linearly, thinking all together and in the same plane. We've talked about that before and putting together lineups that are going to play off of each other and play well in terms of the leverage that you're gaining and the leverage that you're losing. Right. If you take a look at Slate IQ, I pulled this up from yesterday and I didn't play, I don't, I don't know what Slate this is. Was Toronto on the Slate? That was yesterday morning, yeah. Right. Uh, that's the same concept of looking at Slate IQ. Yeah. I mean, it's just really simplify it. If people may look at this, these things and go, oh, I'm doing too much math here. There's no math. What, what, what math? Here, Slate IQ, using the Plate IQ projections, shows you, based on the simulations that Roto-Grinders runs, what percentage of the time that the four or five-man stack from these teams are in the winning lineup. 
and he'll show you the average of what the field plays it at. Okay. So based on this chart right here, you would say that Toronto is underowned, right? Toronto, 6.3% chance is the winner. Field, 3.4% chance. Or 3.4% owned, right? So anything with a plus in this leverage column is underowned, right? Baltimore, 3.5% chance, but only will be 1.8% owned, right? So you take a look at all of these. Now, all now at the bottom, you have like Miami, 0.6% chance, but there'll only be 0.5% owned. That means they're underowned. It also means that they have a very low likelihood of being the top stack, but they're still underowned. So just the concept. Don't worry yourself about anything else other than you want what is the probability of the event happening? Are they being owned at the efficient way for their actual probability? Are, Are you getting paid more? Out. Remember, DFS is a game of relative value. So if you're able to get points that other people aren't getting at a premium, you want to take it. So if two teams project the same and one's going to be twice as owned, you want to take the one that's less owned because you're going to make more points because more of the field is going to be here. And when you win, when you get your points, less other people have those points. So your goal, your goal is to just, what is the probability and what are they owned? So when you're making that calculation in your head, when you're looking, I'm not talking about a cal- you're making numbers, just conceptually, is this team over or under owned? Even if you don't want to look at slate IQ, just look at ownership projections, look at just common sense. Maybe you're not looking at anything. You're just looking at the salaries and go, oh, this is the best team on the slate. This is the worst team on the slate. Just think, okay, I know this is the best team on the slate to stack. Are they going to be over-owned or under-owned? Then you go to the next team. Are, are they going to be over-owned or under-owned? Are they looking at a pitcher? Are they going to be over-owned or under-owned? Right? In comparison to how likely they are, you know, to be in the winning lineup. So, Obviously, we do some of the work for you at Rotogrinders. I mean, son, and we have the projection. You can make your own model. You could look at ours. You could do, you could yeah, provide you with the tools for that. But at the end of the day, you have to build a lineup that has a higher probability in total of winning than other lineups in the contest. And you could do that by underowned or overowned. That's that's what the core of expected value is. If you're getting a if you a, a, a six-sided die roll, and I'm it, James, we do this in the course. I, I gave you the choice. In the course, six-sided die roll, I'm going to give you 20 to 1 odds on you being able to guess which number came comes out. I mean, you're going to take that bet, right? Yeah, absolutely. Every time. Okay. The, the, it, but the main point is, does it matter what number you pick? No. Okay. You're giving me 20 to 1. <laughs> right. But you know, because you know the probability of is, is one-sixth of yeah. any number. So your 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 aim isn't to predict what number is going to you know I'm going to look at the die I'm going to study the past die rolls right like the roulette wheel oh it most likely comes up on four I think it comes up on four today like it doesn't matter it's a plus EV bet no matter what you bet on obviously if I said okay it's a six sided die roll I'll give you twenty to one on six and five to and uh, and and eight to one on all the other numbers. Like you just be betting six all the time. Every time. Right. Every time. Because it has, do you, do you think that it's going to come up six every time? No. No, but it'll come up. It'll come up every, every and on, on average, every six rolls. Yeah. 
and you get paid 20 times. You get, you should be getting paid. You should be getting paid five to one, but now you're getting paid 20 to one. So you're going to make four times the amount of money, even though, even though the other numbers at eight to one is still good odds, right? It's still, that's still under owned, right? That's still under owned, but the other one is even more drastically under owned. Right. Paying you 20 to one, but that's, that's, that's essentially what the effect, I mean, James, is there at its core, core, from a conceptual standpoint, isn't expected value that that concept at the core of what all DFS play is? Well, I mean, that and BVP, yeah. But oh, I mean, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, if you're uh, if you're not playing correctly in EV and if you're not caring about six at bats, then like you shouldn't have been playing DFS. Right, but this is but this is but this is why I highlight that's why you know in the chat, oh, we're talking about MMA. Well, this is the re the fact that the best GFS players tend to be good in all sports is not a coincidence. It's because it's all based on it's all based on these core concepts. It's all based on it's just how can I relate this now to MMA, to PGA, to what to, so I could just pick it up and I go, okay, pick it up. Once I learn the nuances, what's the most correlated to other things, what variables work and just go, okay, who's under own, who's over own. Let me build lineups. Right. And then, there you go. You could do that. You could do that in any sport. So don't think of it as, oh, we talked about MMA for a half an hour. No, we talked about DFS for a half an hour. How could you take those concepts and use them in MLB, use them in NBA, use them in NFL, use them in soccer, use them in tennis and what, whatever the hell you're playing. Best ball. It's still it's the same thing. It's it's all the same thing. The other thing that I will say is that um, it didn't used to be. I mean, like obviously, if you had all of this conceptual knowledge ten years ago, you would have crushed. What up? You would have crushed. If I was if, if, if I was DFS in two thousand twelve, I'd be I'd I would be you, sitting here. I'd be on a beach in Costa Rica somewhere. Yeah, you you would have you would have swept the floor with everyone because 10 years ago what you the more important thing was building good projection models 10 years ago the thing is that now everyone has a good projection model good good quote unquote good projection model i didn't say great i i said good come on come on james there's plenty dude i i I do other shows i i see around people 95 percent of people that play dfs don't even don't don't even utilize projection Oh, I think a lot. I think it's more than 5%. No, 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 no. no I think no. it's more than 5%. I think, I think we're probably now at this point to about 20%. Okay, okay, fine. I'll give you that at least. But that still means 80% of people are just going, I don't know what the hell is going to go on sure. today. You know, they're, they're sure. throwing their hat in the air. But my point is that if 20% of the field is using a good projection model, that's, that's the payout. That, like, that's, that's the payout. So like, sure, there's going to be people that are getting lucky that are not using projection models. And there are people that are not using projection models, but are good enough at the core concepts that we have talked about to be able to play and still compete. But 10 years ago, projection models, like you needed to be able to project things in order to find any success. Now, I think projection models are significantly less important than understanding the core concepts of how to build EV lineups and understanding ownership and understanding leverage and understanding how to pass the field. I think that stuff, like, obviously, like we just said, you would have just crushed 
the industry 10 years ago, if you like had access to ownership models and had access to leverage models and stuff like that, but they didn't have it. Nowadays, I think that it's almost a, a necessity to be able to find long-term sustained success because everybody is like, the not everybody, but the people who are cashing and the people who are playing well and the people who are playing well consistently, they already have access to the tools. They already have access to the models. You beat them by understanding that it's not only about the projections, that it's not only about, about the, well, a lot of times people are over as to overvaluing the median. By a lot. By right, a by a lot, lot. By, by way too way too much, right? That's yeah. not about the median. Right. So I that's that's where the edge lies now. And I preach that if you're over at Pater, like I preach that a million times a day that sure, like the projections are are there. I, I think projections are good, but I, what I talk significantly more about, and in my write-up every day, uh, I talk significantly more about okay, where is the actual edge on this slate? Like where where is the ownership gonna go? Why is it going there? Can I understand it? Yeah, sure. Should you be playing this guy who's probably over-owned? Yeah, because we have these teams that are going to be lower-owned and they project well. And I, I talk so much more about the leverage and where to gain that EV structure rather than talking about the projections. I, I, I think like even if I didn't have projections over at Paydirt, even if I just had rankings, even if I just had ownership, I think that it would still be just as good and as like solid of community because I have been teaching that kind of thing for so long that people understand it. And, and there are people that still don't want to adhere to it and still home run hunt. And it's like, I mean, you could, but, but hold on, James, you could do that. If you wanted to go and get the, the, the sports book lines on home runs, right? Pete yeah. Alonso plus two twenty five, right? Joey Gallo plus two fifty, whatever. And compare that to ownership. I mean that it home the chance of hitting a home run is not it's probably not like the only thing you should be looking at for for MLB but I mean that's at least a 14 point score on DraftKings and 18 on on FanDuel that if you wanted to just if if you wanted to compare those to the ownership projections isn't that better than using nothing No because I would just tell you to go build a parlay on that site and like not play DFS like No it, no what 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 you do is you compare Oh, Pete Alonso is plus two twenty-five. Joey Gallo is plus two twenty-five. Pete Alonso is going to be twenty-five percent owned. Joey Gallo is going to be four percent owned. Yeah, I mean, I can sure. show I, you that. I like, think, I think that a better application of that would be within the same team, though, right? I, I mean, think a better I, application that is look look at a model that has every variable other than just I, yeah, run. sure, yeah, I I get that. Right. Like, but I'm just are, saying, if are... you just wanted to, like, my attitude is, if you're already at the point where you're comparing home run odds from sports books to the ownership they concept you're conceptually you're conceptually more accurate than sure. most other people and someone that is that conceptually accurate probably is not just using home run odds right they're using an actual projection model right I agree. and doing yeah. the same thing sure sure like one it's one of those things like self-selection yeah right but someone that's that's that that understands that concept is not just going to use home run odds right yeah and, and it's it is it's but you see it all the time I mean, you see it all the time. And and what people are doing is they're not going and looking at the home run odds on, on Pinnacle. They're not going and looking at that. What they're doing is they're looking at ISO or they're looking at slug or they're looking at Anthony Rendon against sliders from left-handed pitchers. And they're like, this is the guy. And it's like, just stack the team, dude. <laughs> like if, right. if, you think, if you think that somebody is going to hit a home run against this guy, 
if you think like if you are sold that it is going to be Shohei Otani hitting this home run, if you are sold on it, then just put Fletcher and Iglesias in front of him. And if Fletcher hits the home run, you still you're just you're still there. Like you got the home run. Don't home run hunt. Just stack the team. Just stack the team. If you think that there's a t- if you think there's a hitter like Juan Soto, right? Juan Soto is so good, man. He's so good. He's so good up against like right-handed pitcher. That's awesome. You think he's going to hit a home run? Three-man stack it. He's he never bats lead off. He never bats lead off. Just put the two people in front of him and then have that as a secondary stack against your main stack or as a two-man stack if you want to. Just put one person in front of him and stack it because the correlation is what matters. The correlation matters so much more than you thinking that you can pick home runs. And like, I, I, I'm on a bit of a rant here because I've seen a lot of people home run hunting lately. And it's like, bro, it's like, you're just going to lose. Just go build a parlay. In the long run. The, 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 the key thing is in the long run. I, everything I talk about. Specific slate, some weird eight one-off lineup. Okay, great. Yes. It, the point that we're making to go back to the expected value is that just because something's negative expected value doesn't mean it never happens. It just means it doesn't happen as often as what you should be paid. And you're just right. That six of the long run. Right. So that that six sided die, right? That I gave you. If I only offered you two to one odds on you guessing it right, like you'd never take that bet. Well, I wouldn't. Right, you wouldn't. But the <laughs> point is, is not that. Oh well, because you. Well, what happens if someone takes the bet at two to one? Goes, I think it's going to be four, and it comes out four. And it happens. It's still a bad. It, 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 yes, it'll happen. It's it's, it's still a bad bet because you're only getting paid two to one when you shouldn't be getting paid six to one. Right. Right. So that that's that's the key. So it's like the, the same thing that when I say that when you build two safe lineups for large field GPPs, and people are like you know people will show me their results after you know three months and go. Uh, I've cashed like 50%, more than 50% of the time, yet I'm down 10%. I go, yeah, because that's what min cash that that's what min cashing is. You're well, not gonna pay 1.5. Right. It pays 1.5. And yeah, you may have some three X's and some five X's or whatever, but you 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 still don't cash enough. Right. You it seems to you that you're oh, I'm cashing half the time. And then they look at me that doesn't that that loses 90 plus percent of the time. And, and has five more five figure in profit. And they go, well, how could you lose 90% of the time and have more money than me? It's like, yeah, because like playing the min cash is, is you're not going to, you're not, it's going to happen more often, but you're not going to, you're, you're going to lose money over time. Me, I'm going to lose way more often. Just like with the, if I gave you a 20 sided die and I gave you hundred to one odds, I'm guessing a number, you're going to lose 95% of the time. 5% of the time you win five times the amount of money that you should, because you should be getting paid 20 to one. So you'll just keep, as long as you're allowed to keep the, the first question you ask is uh, how many bets can I make? Can I play this for infinity? Can I play this for a year? Can I play this every, every hour for, for the next you know month? And you just, and, and just make that, and who cares? Guess whatever number you want, play the same number over and over again. It doesn't matter. Right. If it's, if it's the last slate ever of DFS, then, okay. Then it matters. Okay. That's, that's what I always joke, James, right? When people are like, well, what happens if they, what happens if that, what happens if you play the risky play and they don't get there and I go, well, there's, then you lose. And then there's tomorrow to do the same thing again. Right. And then the same thing again, the next day. And then the next day, 
So unless you're telling me that DFS goes away tomorrow, the, 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 the propensity of me being right specifically today, I don't care if I'm not, if I'm specifically right today. All I know is that I have to be specifically right in a baseball season three times. <laughs> Give me three times. I don't know what three days they're going to be. I don't know, but I'm going to play as if three of these times I'm going to be right. And based on the odds that I'm looking at, uh, the three times that I'm right are going to make up for all my losses and then give me five times the amount of profit because I'm constantly playing lineups that have a higher probability of winning first place than what the field is playing them at. So like that, that's, that's, that's the kid and caboodle. You can do it for any, any sport, but I just wanted to show like my MMA spreadsheet to show just like, this is, this is not high tech stuff. I mean, like, like, dude, I don't even know what the hell I did there. I just erased this thing. I don't even know if I, can I fix that? Okay. Can I do that? Okay. I mean, I'm just looking at the, like what, I mean, look, look, look at this formula. I, I had to do absolute value. I could probably do this in a better, better way, but like converting minus 235 to 70% and then comparing 70% to 51%. And should I really be dividing 70 by 51? Probably not. But I mean, it at least gives me some relative number to go by. The number in and of itself means nothing. It's just, and then you do the conditional formatting. So it goes from red to green. Like it, that, this is not hard Excel stuff that I'm doing. James is looking at me with a smirk on his face going, going like this is stuff that he learned in like the first two hours of Excel 101 or whatever the hell class he's taken. But I this, have not this, is the, this is the extent that I know Excel. It, that's okay. I, I say it to a lot of different people. Like you don't have to be good at Excel. Not everybody has to be good at Excel. There only have to be a couple people that are really good at Excel to make Excel worthwhile for like a whole bunch of people. It You're matter. really good. You make stuff in Excel that I go, I can't, I, I don't even know. I, I didn't know you could do that. In Excel. Yeah. You no, do I'm, stuff I'm, that I look at and I go, I didn't even know that was a possibility to even do in Excel. I'm exceptional at Excel. I, I am what they call an Excel wizard. Uh, but Excel sucks. And I would like to move away from Excel as soon as possible. I just don't you know. Give me all your Excel stuff when you move over. I can. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, I don't I'm, want your specific stuff. I want you to redo with the stuff that I do. I'm happy to do it. I'm gonna, I'll hire you. I, that's what I should do. I should hire you to do my Excel. Pay me 50 bucks an hour. That's what no, I charge. That's what I charge. 50 bucks an hour. I don't know what I need you to do. We'll figure it out. Charge me. 50 bucks maybe an a, hour. Maybe a, a simulator. A better better simulator. Sure. Yeah. Whatever. Can you, can you do, can you, can you, can you, can you, can you build lineups in Excel with ownership percentages? Yes. Like dummy line, like basically saying, here are the ownerships of all, here are the salaries of all. I want, you know, most of the lineup, 95% of the lineups, they use at least 500 in salary, like, you know, the cap. Yeah. You can do and that. Then generate, I want you to generate uh, 32,000 lineups. Yeah. You can do that. You could do that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe maybe I should be hired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can do that. See, that's the type of stuff that I I that's that that's the that that's the stuff I need to learn how to do more. Yeah, I actually I know somebody who uh, he's in my community. He um he built out so he he was really clever about it. What he does is he doesn't build based on parameters. What he does is he actually creates every single possible lineup for a slate. So we're talking like millions of lineups. Right. And then he applies parameters to those lineups to pull out specific things that he wants. So he'll build out, I don't know, like 
three million lineups, whatever the combinatorics of it, of it are. And then he says, I want all the lineups that are over 49,000 that are under 130% ownership that are these stacks that have this many players and have like this cap on this quarterback or whatever. And then it just like separates them. And that, that's all he does. So like his initial uh, simulation process takes a long time for Excel. Well, that takes a long time. Takes I've, like- I've tried, I've tried doing it before. Uh, I, 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 I did. I, I, cause I read up and I got a little module and I put yeah. in some stuff to do Sims and it takes, I, I, I either, I don't do it. Well, I got a wrong type. Like anytime I've tried to put together like a simulation type of thing. Yeah. Like in order, because I want to simulate the contest. I don't want to simulate, like I want to be able to put in like, oh, the 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 super knuckleball today is seventy one thousand entries. Yeah, I want to take the ownership and basically run the the lineups that are in the contest and see, you know, basically what what is high owned, what's low, what's you know what what is leverage there. Uh, let's just say that in the course of of th- of like an hour to two hours, uh. I've gotten like up to like a hundred sims. Yeah. Which is like, what's the point? Right. Right. Like a hundred right. is not enough. I mean, like it's just, it's, I, I could do, I could do it on the small field stuff. I used to, I, I used to have a But even then of- I'm not even doing it correctly. Like I'm not, I'm not simulating the play. Like I'm not, I'm basically saying, give me the, put the median projection in. Right. And then run, and then run it to see what lineup combinations are more owned or less owned. Like basically I'm doing like, I, like I do on the, a lot of times like the early slip when I'm showing like, here is the median projection total of the lineup. Here is the sum of the ownership and comparing the two. So I want like, if it's 110, 162, like I, w- I don't want the next lineup to be 109, 165. Like I'm eliminating that lineup. Right. So all I'm doing is basically simulating what the dummy lineups in the contests are and then finding the ones that have the highest owner, the highest pr- projection for the lowest ownership and seeing if I could play those lineups. Yep. But that like, I'm not simulating the contest by doing, I'm right. just, essentially I'm automating the process that I would normally do at 6.30 before lock. And, but even uh, then it runs so, it runs so damn slowly that I, 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 I just, I, I do quicker manual. That's just an efficiency thing. Like I admire no, that's just me stuff. not knowing Excel and not, not mean being an Excel wizard. Right. Yeah. So my my baseball stuff when I used to or my NFL stuff when I used to run it, it used to take 15 minutes to do simulations when I was bad. That was when I was bad. Now I'm really, really good and it takes me 52 seconds. And that's yeah, great. Yeah. When, 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 when I could only do hundred an hour, that means I, that on their scale of bad, that must mean I'm really bad. Oh yeah, no, you're low tier, dude. You're you're uh you're I'm, I'm, I know I'm really bad, but I I'm not <laughs> admit that I know that. But the point, the point that I've always made is that I know what my weaknesses are. And of course, you outsource them. Right. And I, right, exactly. So, but the thing is, is that even, even me being like on the low end of the, of, the, of that scale, I'm still probably doing a, more than 95% of the field yeah. does anyway. Yeah. Right. It's a low scale, dude. It's right. It's a very low standard. This little, this little d- dinky little spreadsheet. Well, the yeah. dinky little spreadsheet made me $17,000 on Saturday. There you go. 20 minutes. What do work? I, what do I care if I need to update <laughs> this and not you, not you scraping day. I, I, that's the part. That's the part that's going to, I, I, I was traumatized James from the late nineties uh-huh. because the only way like scraping and like 
1999. Like I learned Perl and you learn regular, you learn how to use regular expressions. Do we even, do we even use regex anymore? Yeah, we do. Okay. But not to the extent of what you have to do it for everything. No, absolutely not. Right. But imagine, imagine a world where you have to do that for everything. I don't want to. Right. Well, that's the world that I come from. So whenever you say, oh, I just scraped data from here and I moved that and I imported and I aggregated and all I think about is 1999 and those O'Reilly books that I had to study in order for regular expressions. And I go, I, I just don't even want to dive into it. No, that sounds terrible. I, that I thought, but, that, at but at least, do you understand, James, now why I'm so, why yeah. I look at like this type of stuff and want to outsource it? Because I used to do it the hard, the now the way from 20 years ago that no one does it anymore because we have way more processes, but I'm still, I still look at, Oh, scra- Oh, I'm going to have to like, I'm going to have to like write out like to, for me to scrape data from even like lineup HQ would probably, it would take me 40 hours. To just do, it may not even be that good. To, and, to be- and if the formatting of lineup HQ changes, I need to recode every, right. I need to recode everything because then it's going to start pulling in stuff in wrong spots and it's going to be, it's going to be a nightmare. And And that's all I've ever learned how to, by the time I got into other stuff, I I never, I I never, the only time I ever had to use Pearl because I was working on wall street and doing stock market sites and we had to scrape basically stock. We had all these stock market XML sheets and everything. We always had to pull stuff in from different sources. So that's how I, I needed to learn that type of stuff. And then so I take a look at me like, oh no, I pulled data from multiple and you're like, dude, like you're describing like four months worth of work for me. Yeah, no, not me. But uh, after you've developed that thing that took you four months, then what they're going to do is they're going to put it behind an iframe. And then you're just going to throw your computer out the wall. Like right, I know. Give up. Find another you could, site. You could, still, you, could, you, could, you, could, you could still pull it from an iframe. Yeah, but I don't want to. It's hard. It's I, really I, hard. I know. I know. <laughs> But that's why I'm traumatized. So, so maybe, maybe, maybe I should not. Maybe the fact that you're saying that it's not as difficult as that. Uh, it's maybe, not. Maybe I should. There, there's a beautiful thing that you can do on uh, on Google Docs. Uh, there's actually a formula called import XML, where you can literally just like find the XML of the of like the element that you're looking for on the website, and you can like just pull all of those elements into into Google Docs, and it's super simple. And you just use that as a separate sheet and you just import whatever you need yep. for that. That's all. Right. I'm, I'm used to, right. See, the fact that it does it for you. When you hear, when I hear, oh, oh they have an X. Yeah, I, I'm aware that most of these sites have XMLs. Or, and, and if it's not publicly available, you could go into the developer tools on your browser mm-hmm. and you could find the, the, the source. Uh, once I hear XML, I'm like, okay, here comes 700 regular expressions in order to, to parse the oh. lines out and everything and like no you're telling me that google sheets does it for me for nothing it's very simple okay i, I need to dig into this one. <laughs> okay hit the thumbs up button on your way out the door I, I hope this was helpful i mean it should be this stuff should be helpful if you don't find this stuff helpful then you, you don't know what you should be looking at in order to in order to win at dfs and uh, if you want to win dfs if you want to hear more about this type of stuff Get the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass. It's me and James. A lot of miscellaneous subjects. We got all these testimonials here. So if you haven't picked picked this up yet, this it doesn't matter. I mean, this will apply for years. I mean, as long as DFS is around the way it is, like 
you could probably read this. You could probably listen to this 10 years from now and it'll still apply. Right. So no matter what sport you play, NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, PGA, MMA, NASCAR, soccer, esports, doesn't matter. It's all the same. That the concept that we talked about with expected value, how to build plus EV lineups, it's all it's all the same for any sport. 15 hours. If you enjoy this type of stuff, you could apply it to any sport. So it doesn't matter. So pick that up at theoryofdfs.com. And uh, and we got a seven-game slate tonight. Uh, The question is going to be tonight, James. I think the biggest question is, uh, are you playing Shaukini tonight? Uh... You didn't even look at the slate yet, so you don't even know. Descalfani against Arizona? No, I'll probably play Widener. And it's Jorge Lopez against the Yankees. And I'll probably play. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a running joke over at Pater because I think that Jorge Lopez is, legit, is like legit better than he has been. So uh, there's this running joke that Jorge Lopez is like the Pater at Golden Boy. So I don't know. I'm at well, play. well, let me tell you, the Yankees are going to be the highest, the, the top owned stack. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's Baltimore. I, yeah, of course. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. Probably Widener and Miguel, if you ask me right now. But I haven't ran anything. Okay, yeah. But of course, if, you, if you're using the bat, if you're using the plate IQ projections, uh, it's M- McGill and Heaney. That sounds right. Right. That sounds right. Right. Now, actually, Widener comes in. Actually, it's, uh, the Giants have the, the Giants have the second highest total on the slate. Well, Giants have been a murderer's row against right-handed pitchers. They've okay. been the best team in baseball over the last 45 days against right-handed pitching. So that makes sense. But I think the Widener is good. My models usually like him. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. We'll, we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. So there you go. For anyone that wanted actual MLB slate analysis, <laughs> you, got, you, got two, you got two minutes at the end. <laughs> but that's why you sign up for Roto-Grinders. You get, the, you get the projections. You get all the content. You get the premium stuff. We got Grinders Live coming up later today at 5.30. 6.30 premium crunch time. Uh so click on that link in the description. Get $10 off your first month of Roto-Grinders Premium. You can follow James at PayDirt underscore DFS on Twitter. Follow me, Blender HD. And, uh, and we'll be back. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be back tomorrow to go over this seven-game slate and see what's going on. T- tomorrow we should have a bigger slate, right? I believe so. Yeah, tomorrow we'll be bigger. Right. Mm-hmm. Talk about the MLB stuff. It's August. It's the dog days of MLB. We got the NFL preseason coming up soon. So check it out. As you could always do, Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock in the morning Eastern for the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.